the Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Collective Whisper podcast with me, your host, Simon K. So I'm joining you today, and it's kind of a sad day, I think. I feel sad anyway, because, you know, what with the recent events that happened in Tullamore and County Offaly, I think it's saddened the whole of Ireland, and if not other parts of the world as well, and all Irish people around the world, because... It's something, you know, I've been seeing on Irish TV and, you know, I'm living in Spain and I, I still feel the effects of it here. And, you know, to be honest, I was going to do a different podcast for today, but over the last few days watching this, it's just kind of hit home how brutal this is and also how sad and heartbreaking it is for her family, but even for the rest of the country and, and especially the people in, you know, Tullamore and County Offaly. And for this to happen in such a small place is just shocking, you know. And if you don't know the story, I'm speaking about the murder of Ashling Murphy. So Ashling Murphy was a 23-year-old primary teacher from Tullamore in County Offaly in Ireland. Her young body was found by authorities on Wednesday afternoon on the banks of the Grand Canal in Capincour. So it was believed that she was murdered after she went jogging. And this is the really shocking part about it was, you know, you see lots of viral things on Facebook and everything now. She only went for a run. And this is what's really shocking people. Is she did her day's work. She was, you know, working in the school, teaching the kids, and they all loved her. And then she went for a jog. That's all she did. She was going for a jog, probably let off some steam, get some exercise. She probably had all these wonderful things she was going to do in the evening. And, you know, and it was just cut short and Nobody could expect something like that. We just take our lives for granted and we do our things every day, but we never believe that they can be cut short so quickly. So she went jogging and, you know, around 4 p.m. And the guardie believed the attack took place in broad daylight, which is even more shocking because you can imagine that, you know, somebody would see it and it's less likely to happen. But it seems that's not true. And... You know, again, I'm just like I I feel like that. We're looking here at domestic violence again and not just in Ireland, but everywhere. And things are happening that shouldn't happen and there should be other ways around it. And, you know, murders happen everywhere. Murders happen all over the world and for different reasons, you know, lots of emotions and people suffering from mental health issues who take things too far and obviously sometimes there's a victim who has nothing got to do with it and it can be very random but also this can be to do with family members children everything you know people can be the victims of these attacks and in this case we don't know what was the motive was it a completely random attack um and we won't know for a while probably because obviously the the Gardaí are, you know, investigating this and it seems like the attacker was unknown to uh, Ashling, And, you know, that's just shocking because, I mean, somebody just decided 
I'm going to target this girl or they had been watching her or watching other girls in the area or other things, you know. And up to this point today, we know that there was a suspect and he was, you know, brought into custody and he has been cleared of the whole crime. Um, the Gardaí know that they have ruled him out of their inquiries now and, you know, we also have to kind of help this person get through that because you know I know now I've seen today that they have been you know vilified on social media and we don't need that either because you know you have to be presumed innocent until proven guilty and you know for Ashling's family it's hard enough to go through everything and for all her friends and everything but you know once you put a suspect in place and you say this person is responsible or could be responsible of course people's emotions run high and now obviously this person has been proved that they had nothing got to do with it so far I, I I'll say that because everything can change and sometimes new evidence comes in but if this person has been you know cleared of this we have to just leave them alone and let them get on with it and you know, we don't need any vilification and we don't need any targeting of anybody. You know, we've moved on in modern times. We don't have lynch mobs anymore. So I just like to get that point across because, you know, Ashling was the victim here. Her family are the victims, but we don't need more victims of anything. Let the police do their work and, you know, let them do it well. They're, the Gardaí are one of the best forces in the world for this. And unfortunately, the justice system lets us down in Ireland a little bit. And... That's the problem therein, that we sometimes have a justice system that does not, and I repeat, does not help the victims or the victims' families. And we see, you know, nowadays, especially with COVID, lots of these penalties and people are getting fined for different things. And then sometimes killers and serial killers getting minimal jail time, and especially for sexual assaults and things like this minimal jail time so this has to change we need to change the law we need to change the punishment of those who are found guilty and proven guilty and the people who are you know presumed to be guilty if they're found innocent then we need to say okay you know we're we're sorry we looked at you but we had all of that evidence and we needed to confirm it wasn't you so they're you know but now you can get on with your life but obviously we need to to do it in a safe manner so people don't become targets so Ashling was a school teacher in Dora National School and you know reading comments from her family everything her family have said she was a special girl a little angel and they're rock and at the moment they're attempting to come to terms with this sudden and inexplicable death that's happened and it's just heartbreaking for them and my thoughts go out to them and all their friends and family and her boyfriend and everything you know and the town of Blue Ball near Tullamore where you know the, her family and Ashling were from so you know everybody has spoken about such a special girl and full of energy drive commitment and talent and love you know and as a fellow musician I feel so much when you see this she was a marvellous musician you know she put so much music into her short life she played with the Kyoto's Kyoltori all over Ireland and all over the UK on the tours. She was in the youth choir and the senior orchestra. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, Ashling, rest in peace. We, we, you know, we hope you're somewhere that's, you know, where 
it's better for you right now and and we miss you all <sighs> okay so this is very heavy and it's really hard to talk about this even because for me i think domestic violence is all around us you know and i just like to highlight some of the things and whatever audience we have listening and whatever audience will listen in the future we need to wake up to the reality of this that it doesn't need to keep happening and you know men especially we need to change who we are we need to change who we we have become in some respects because you imagine with modern times that things move on you know that people change and people have more compassion and empathy but i don't know sometimes you have to wonder you know, because when we look back, you know, generations ago, you would imagine that there was more machismo and more sexism and all of these things. But that still seems to be here. And, you know, there's lots of things that can be at play here and lots of different reasons why this kind of thing can happen. And, you know, people will say, oh, it's because of porn. It's because of, you know, social media, all these things. They're making our young men into monsters. But I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that. I think that there's lots of good men around the world and there are some bad men. And it's all about education. You know, education is the thing. We don't need to man shame everybody. I know I'm speaking that I'm a man and it's easy for me to say that. But we don't need that. We don't need to man shame everybody. We need to look at the people who commit the crimes. We need to people need to look at the people who are doing these things, you know, these sexual crimes and these attacks, and we need to address those. But then we also need to look deeper and we need to say, why did it happen? We need to look at the mental health issues. We need to see were these people treated correctly, were they let go when they shouldn't have been let go, were they let out of jail, and, you know, were they a safety risk to others? This is one of the most important things because it's one thing when somebody commits a crime and everybody, you know, has to have redemption and everybody can have second chances. But we don't want to let people on the streets who are not safe for our kids and our parents and our sisters and brothers and everybody we love. So we have to look at these things more closely. But I believe with all of these things, it's down to bureaucracy and money and budgeting and everything from the government. And, you know, we're a very educated society, especially in Ireland. We're, we're very, very knowledgeable about things nowadays. But what happens a lot of the time is bureaucracy, money, all of this gets in the way. And, you know, budgeting everything leads to decisions who, where people come out of jail. And I'm sure sometimes when people are leaving jail and are leaving mental health centers, there are people within those walls, within those buildings who say, why are they leaving? They shouldn't be leaving, but they can't stop it because maybe a senior figure or somebody else has made that decision. And you know, and I know that there are probably lots of psychiatric nurses who see people on the streets who maybe they're thinking that person is a dangerous society, but I work in that place. I couldn't stop them leaving. Now, guys, I'm no expert on this and I don't want to come across, you know, like I know everything about it. I don't. But, you know, we've all had our experiences and, you know, I've had my share of experience with domestic violence growing up as a child and my family and my, my brothers and sisters and lots of people in Ireland have had this it's a very very common thing you know there's been lots of alcohol problems and lots of domestic violence predominantly towards women 
we can't get away from the fact there is domestic violence towards men and children significantly as well. But it's predominantly women and children, I would say. But, you know, let's let's not just look at it all in it's all geared towards women. It is there. Of course, we know it's in all walks of life and we know that men suffer from this, too. And, you know, there's such a deep understanding that most of us don't understand. We hear stories about people, you know, being battered and we hear people being assaulted. But now you just have to look at the feedback, especially after this murder. You know, young girls coming out, women coming out, talking about feeling, you know, feeling threatened on the road and feeling like walking through the streets at night or during the day and feeling like they were, you know, at risk and that they couldn't be comfortable. And this is something we need to change because we don't want to see this anywhere. I see this in Spain here. When I moved to Spain, the the culture here was very different from Ireland. And I quickly realized there was a lot of machismo and a lot of kind of fear amongst women, especially towards Spanish men. And then while I've been here, I've been here nearly, you know, eight, nine years now, and I've seen lots of cases, you know, some very famous cases here where, you know, men attacked women and then they got off and then there was huge outrage and the you know the people protested and things were done about it but sometimes that's kind of too late because that's like saying oh we'll do something when people complain it shouldn't be like that we should there should be a better system in place in every country so i see that and sometimes you know the culture is different but there's lots of things that are the same so when we look at this murder taking place there have been so many other murders in Ireland, you know, Jojo Dollard, Fiona Pender, and people, I, I don't want to say even murder, some of them went missing, you know, let's get our facts straight. Some of them were missing, never found again, so probably murdered, but we don't know. But the thing is, these girls were a target, and unfortunately, we had lots of predators through the years in Ireland, Larry Murphy, people like this, who were, you know, doing things they shouldn't be doing and nobody was stopping them and this is not fixed this is still happening but unfortunately now we have a new generation of predators on the streets probably and of course you know people want to always look at oh it's probably that foreign person or this person you know but it's not that sometimes maybe but a lot of the time it's people we know and in a lot of these sexual cases it's people you know that commit them and you know, of course, you have sexual predators, you have people who assault girls and women, and there is no actual, like, how would I put it, like beatings or murders or anything happen, but there's so much more that happens. So I think we have to look at it. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to share some facts about domestic violence. So, you know, domestic violence and abuse in Ireland. So one in four women in Ireland have been in a relationship, have been abused by a current or former partner. One in four that's like 25%. Okay, so 14% of women are having ex- women in Ireland have experienced physical violence by a partner since the age of 15. 6% of Irish women have experienced sexual violence and 31% of women have experienced psychological violence by a current or former partner since the age of 15. And 12% of Irish respondents in the study had experienced stalking, including cyberstalking. In 50% of the cases, the stalker was a partner, current or former. 
41% of Irish women know someone in their circle or family or friends who have had experienced intimate partner violence. So let's look at this for a moment because each one of us knows somebody in either your friend's family or your own family or in times past who has been a victim of domestic violence and abuse. And the thing about it is we, in the past, people would kind of turn a blind eye to it and people would say, no, there's nothing I can do. What can I do? Or I don't want to get involved. That's their business. They're a married couple or they're a couple or whatever. But nowadays we have to do things. You know, we have to prevent these things happening because for all you know, that person who's abusing your friend or your mother or your sister, anybody, somebody you know, can go on to abuse somebody else and be violent towards them. And the shocking part about this is that when somebody does actually attack a woman or a girl or a child in the street and they decide that day to commit this crime, whether their mental health is, you know, at, um, how would I put it, is, is like affecting this decision or if they have it premeditated. The point is they probably committed some sort of domestic violence towards someone in their family, someone they knew, and they've been building up to this. You know, in a lot of cases, you know, the experts in this field will tell you it doesn't just happen that somebody goes out and murders somebody. There has been a build-up. There has been some kind of abuse from a young age. There has been... I don't want to use the word practice, but they have practiced this abuse or this domestic violence and they have, you know, um, given it to somebody else. And the point is that they get better and better and more confident and more cocky with this. So unfortunately, what happens is that by the time it gets to somebody who's a random victim on the street, these people or person or man or whoever are well practiced in doing this and maybe at hiding their crimes too. You know, we don't know in any of these murders if they've done this once or if they've done it before. So these are things that in your family, in your circle of friends, if you see happening, you have to try and stop it. You have to help as much as you can. You know, you have to do something. You have to say to that person who you think could be a predator, that person who you think could be somebody who could, you know, um, hurt somebody in the future. You say you, you need help. Because we don't just, we can't just look at the end of the crime and say, oh, he needs to go to jail or she needs or whatever. Because that's just the end of it. That's, that's too easy. We need to address the situation and we need to say to our sons and our brothers, we need to say, look, don't do that. Okay? You cannot continue this kind of behavior. If you drink and you carry on with this behavior, you're going to hurt somebody one day. You're losing respect amongst your peers amongst your family and this kind of so you know change who you are whether it's through intervention like medical psychological or you know stop drinking take steps but as brothers and sisters and parents we can do a lot of the work we can say you know if for example if you know your son or your brother or somebody is doing something try and step in try and step in and say you know you're you're doing something wrong here you need to address it you need help you know it's 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 not just a question all the time of saying i know that person is a potential rapist or i know that potential person is a 
potential predator and going to the police because, of course, the police will maybe arrest him, but the police will also say, "Okay, do you have any proof or, you know, and, and it's very hard for a family member to do that. What I think is a better step is to go to that person, you know, and say, look, I feel threatened by you. I feel like you're a threat to the society. I feel like you need help, you know, and then try and help them. Try and talk to them. Of course, you know, in this kind of case, most of those people would deny it. It's inevitable they would say this. Again, I'm not speaking as an expert. I'm only speaking as somebody who, you know, has seen some of these cases, has been through some things like this, and I can just give my opinion on this you can totally disagree with me and say he's being a fucking idiot doesn't know what he's talking about and i respect that that's fine that's you know your opinion on it i'm just i have a a bit of a public voice here and i just want to speak about it you know because i feel that it's something that affects us all and if i can let one person or one girl or one woman or one man change something in their life that can stop this happening to somebody else well then i've helped a little bit So the big problem with, you know, domestic violence is education, you know. And when we look at education, things need to change, you know, because we need to educate our young men, especially, you know. And when you look at, you know, these abuses and intimate relationships against young women and femicide and all of these different things... There's cost all around. I mean, the biggest cost is the cost to the victim. But, I mean, when you read deeper into these kind of things, there is like even monetary costs. And it's like, I think in Ireland, I was reading there, it's 56 billion, you know, to like over, um, I think that's like over 20 years, 56 billion over 20 years on domestic abuse. Now, of course, people say money doesn't matter. Money doesn't count. But of course it does, because the more money that's out there, the more money that can help victims and the more shelters and the more everything, all of those things can be put into place. But the more of those things that are used, they need to be replenished and you need to have those centers. So if there is more domestic violence and domestic abuse, we need to try and stop that because... If the government say we don't have the resources and the funds, well, then nothing's been done about it. So we, we have to look at that cost as well. But the, the main cost, obviously, is the cost of people's lives, women's lives, femicide, you know, being killed by a member of your own family. You know, in the Republic of Ireland, since 1996, 236 women have died violently. Okay. Of those women, 61% were killed in their own homes. were killed by a partner or ex of resolved cases. And almost 9 in 10 knew their killer. So we do see these random attacks, obviously, on the streets and, you know, not just at night, but in broad daylight. But the biggest problem is a lot of the time is that this happens in people's homes, in our own homes. People are affected by it. And you know that if you, as a person are in a situation, if you're a woman and you're in a situation where you're being domestically and, you know, violently abused in your own home, whether it's psychologically, whether it's, you know, sexually, your children, if they're there, are victims of this too because they see this and it affects their lives. And we all know that 
as men, we have responsibility to be better men. And when we look at our parents, we have to think, okay, are they a good example to me? Do I want to live my life like that? Do I want to be who my father or mother was and continue this with my own children? Now, I always say this. I've said this in one or two podcasts before. In my family, there was domestic violence and abuse. And my father was an alcoholic. And he's my father died in 2005, but he had so many problems. And, of course, he created problems for lots more people in our family and outside even too. So the thing is, for me, when I look back on that, I always think, how do I take that? How do I, how do I make that into something better? How do I look at that situation and think, can, is that going to make me who I am? Is that going to determine my fate? How can I be better for my own kids, for the next generation? And when I was younger, you know, I made a positive decision that I was going to be a better person and I was going to take what I'd learned from that situation, you know, seeing the domestic abuse in my own house and never become that person. And now it's my job to teach my son. I have an eight-year-old boy and it's my job to teach him. And I try my best to teach him. And I said, don't disrespect girls, don't do that. But now I have another new baby just arrived, baby Kai, just born this this month, in the last month. He's only three weeks old. But it will also be my job and it will be his brother's job to teach him to be a better person and to teach him how to respect women and to teach them both to, you know, what's too much and how to control your urges and how to deal with your, you know, sexual feelings and all of these different things. Because this is the thing, I think, that, you know, young Babies become young boys that become young men, that become young adults, that become adults. (laughs) And then in turn, all of their problems from a young age are multiplied and amplified as they get older, unless they're corrected. So we have to look at the situation and say, okay, you know, the first seven years are the most important of any child's life. So we have to mold those seven years, the first seven years and make those children into understanding, compassionate, you know, empathetic people who do care about people, who do have a conscience, who do, who won't harm animals, who won't harm other kids. And if they do accidentally, they'll regret it and they'll say, I'm not going to do that again. And we have to step in as parents and say, "Okay, that's not right. Don't do that. I don't like that. I don't like how you treated that person. I don't like how you treated that girl. It doesn't matter if they're your own children. For me, sometimes, you know, I see it in Spain here a lot where there's boys and men who disrespect women, but their mothers have this immaculate view of them. Like, oh, no, that's my angel. That's my boy. He would never do that. Because the ironic thing about this, it's like a vicious circle. We have women and young girls being harassed and stalked and cyber stalked and everything. And then those boys who are doing this are young men are going out and their mother's giving them dinner and they're like angels and butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. But even if their mother finds out, some mothers will, you know, come down hard on them and don't do this. But other mothers will maybe turn a blind eye. So for me, those mothers, those women are people who need to kick up the ass to say, listen, 
this is happening to your fellow women. Don't let your children do this. Children are only angels till they turn into devils. And the point is here that anyone can change. So if you see things in your children, if you see things in your boys, their behavior towards girls, try and change them. Try and help them. There, is, there are you know, lots of ways to help people now. It doesn't mean if somebody has a problem, you cannot help them. Because if you see somebody who commits a sexual act or does something, bring them somewhere to get help. Bring them so they can sort this out and not be a threat in the future to somebody else. We don't just randomly label them as you know, perverts, pedophiles, all these kind of things and say nothing can be done now. That's not the way to do it because if you're just going to take these people and shoot them all against the wall or, you know, get rid of them or, you know, put them all in an electric chair, well, it's not, that's not solving the problem. The problem is we need to take those people from a young age and, you know, address those problems. We need to look at them and say, okay, so you have these desires, these urges, then we need to st- we need to I, I don't want to say stop them but we need to we need to address them and we need to say how can we not make this person a threat towards people and again i reiterate the point i'm not an expert in this so you know i'm only speaking in my own my own opinion of this and my own feelings as a man and and the truth is as a man i'm disgusted by this kind of behavior and I'm kind of, you know, I see it here with young men with WhatsApp groups and sending pornographic pictures. But sometimes those pornographic pictures are probably of somebody's ex-partner. And maybe the other guys don't know, but maybe they do and they don't care. And, you know, I've read some cases even in Spain here of, you know, people sending stuff of their ex-partners and, you know, porn videos kind of stuff. And then, of course, uploading it to the Internet, which is just devastating for that girl or you know, and this is too much. This is like criminal behavior because you're ruining somebody's life. We know when things go on the internet, they stay there. And it's not just like sharing a picture between five friends because unfortunately now because of WhatsApp and social media, once you share something that's interesting to somebody else, they will keep sharing it. And usually it's bad things, (laughs) shocking things, you know, nude pictures or pictures of someone being killed or whatever but they're shared and they go viral and this has a huge impact and this is like cyberbullying because if you get a girl who is intimate with a boy and then maybe there's nude pictures of her she doesn't want out there but then they're out there and they, maybe their relationship went sour and then those pictures are out on the web now. And unfortunately, sometimes these girls can take their own lives because of it, because it's too much, too much pressure. And they're thinking, how can I live in my community? So things nowadays seem to snowball. We, we, we use the word viral when we talk about social media videos and we use the word viral when we talk about texts and this kind of thing, music and everything. But unfortunately, the word viral is very linked is very closely linked with the word virus and this is more like a virus where it spreads quickly you know something bad if if they say oh this girl from that town made this video with a boyfriend and they broke up and he spread it all around and it's like a virus it goes viral but it's negative it's just bad and 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 can ruin her life and sometimes then 
and she ends up taking her life or it's shame on her and her family. And we have to try and stop this. Now, it's great to see that in a lot of countries they are bringing laws to address this. But like everything, the, the, the wheels of justice move really slowly. And sometimes these things happen, you know, much later than they should be. So we need to, you know, address these and try and get these wheels moving a little faster, you know. So, you know, obviously with the legal system, I am not a lawyer and there are so many things. And, you know, we have to look at both sides because lawyers will say, well, it's not that easy, you know, to address the justice system. We, we, We can't change things that easily. So I'm going to leave that up to other people to talk more about that because, as I said, it's, you know, there are lots of charges that go through and maybe they're not, um, how I say, they don't, the victim doesn't get any justice, you know. But also, going back to what I said earlier about man shaming, we also have to avoid the, you know, the the false cases because this is a dangerous thing because then we have another victim. If somebody's innocent and they're they're charged with something, especially a sexual crime, and then they're innocent, their lives are ruined. So we also have to be careful of this. But I don't want to talk too much about that today because I want to look at the bigger picture of domestic violence. Now, when we look at domestic violence as well, we have to also look at homelessness because there's, I think, 41% of women are homeless adults in Ireland, which is much higher than the European average. Okay, so I think in between 2015 and 2019, according to Focus Ireland, there was a 158% increase in women's homelessness. Okay, and 92% of homeless women had experienced some form of violence or abuse throughout their lives. So in a lot of those cases, maybe those women are running away from situations as well. And in 2018, there were 1,138 admissions of women and 1,666 admissions of children to refuge in Ireland. So it's safe Ireland. So, you know, it's great to see, obviously, that these organizations can accommodate these women and their children. And it's great to see that there are hotlines. We will be posting hotlines to help people, you know, who may... Um, suffer from these kind of things and people who who want to report anything so so don't worry about that and now as well when you look at children and domestic violence in more than 40 percent of cases children who live with domestic violence abuse are also frequently directly abused physically or sexually and that's from tusla and that's 2015 um in 2020 there were 5948 incidents of child abuse disclosed to women's aid Okay, so, you know, the facts, there's so many facts and so many figures. And the big thing, a lot of women have experienced physical sexual abuse by a current or previous partner. So that indicates that their children have also become aware of the violence. And I mean, you cannot get away from it. Domestic violence and abuse for pregnant women, too. Pregnant women are 60% more likely to be subjected to physical domestic violence and abuse than women who are not pregnant. One in eight women have been abused during pregnancy. So there's so much there. It's it's obviously, and now obviously we're in the middle of COVID. Um, and during the COVID-19 emergency, women's aid responded to a 38% increase in calls to the 24-hour national free phone helpline in comparison with 2019. And during the first six months of the pandemic, 
Um, Safe Ireland discovered that nearly 3,500 women and 600 children contacted a domestic violence service for the first time. This day equates to 19 women and three new children each day. Okay, so that's huge. That is huge. So, I mean, the statistics are there. You can check all these statistics out and you can look at them. There's so many great websites to show you this information if you want to read it further. But the truth is, in these cases, we have to start looking at them a little deeper and not just look at them in these situations, you know. And we have to kind of deal with so much more now, not just obviously sexual and physical violence at home, but on the, you know, outside homeless people on the streets. We have to look at with social media and we have to look at image-based sexual abuse, um, which is rapidly rising. And I think 464 prosecutions for image-based sexual abuse were recorded in the year ending March 2018. So you can imagine at the moment in 2022 what that number is like. It's probably way higher because now you have so many things that are available to younger men. Okay, so I want to I talk a little about... Um, something I came across and th- this is one of the things so now that we want to teach boys and young men how not to be violent towards women and girls so this is something I came across on the web and it's called the Pixel Project and uh, you know I'll, I'll post the links to all of these if you want to have a look and, and I'm sure there are some amazing organizations in Ireland that I don't know about yet because as I said I I did this kind of more last minute this podcast so excuse me if I haven't done my research completely but but all of the facts and figures I've shown I've read to you there they all come from from the um, factual websites in Ireland so I'm not making any of this up so let's have a look here for a moment so you know gender-based violence and you know boys and men and People want to do something about it. Okay, so we we want to get women and men, and especially someone who can help those younger boys to not do this, you know, to stop doing this or not to even start. Okay, so but we need to support young boys and we need to support young men because it's it's okay to, as I said earlier, to blame people when something happens, but you have to try and stop this happening. So we have to do better ourselves as adults. Okay, so a lot of young men have older men in their lives. Okay, so as older men, we can directly and indirectly create lasting impressions on boys and without them realizing it, because, you know, children are like sponges. And, you know, this thing now they have it called men challenging. So men challenging really is going to help you help boys, young boys, okay? And it's going to challenge violence against women and girls. So let's let's have a look. I'm going to expl- explain some of these. So the recommend action number one, check yourself, part one. Don't be violent. Okay, but uh, that's kind of obvious. If you are violent and somebody else sees you violent, then that's an example, especially for a young child. So don't be violent, abusive, or controlling. Don't rape, stalk, or harass. Help boys and young men unlearn violence against women by choosing not to commit it. Most men do not commit acts of gender-based violence, but the majority of these types of violence are committed by men. To change the status quo, we must stop committing violence and hold each other accountable as well. We must model better behavior for young men and boys around us. 
Okay, so that's very important because, you know, ch- kids follow their parents and young boys look up to their dads and their uncles and all of these things. And they have to make, you know, a change. Number two, don't promote violence, prevent it. So obviously we said not committing violence was a critical first step. While most men don't commit over acts of violence, there are many subtle ways that we all promote a culture of gender-based violence. So we must develop a critical eye towards ourselves and those around us. So some of the things, the language you use, the jokes you tell or laugh at, the media you consume, who you have in your life, friends, family, co-workers, and how they talk about and treat women, whether you know men that might be are violent towards women and what you can do about it. Okay, so that's the big thing, what you can do about it. So the action number three, own it. It's your responsibility to challenge men's violence against women. So this is a critical key, especially around and in front of young folks. Own it for yourself. So that's a huge thing. Look at your own behavior. Look how you would like someone to treat your daughter, your wife, your girlfriend, whoever, your mother, anybody, and be that person then. Don't kind of... It's very hypocritical to say, don't talk to my sister like that. Don't talk to my wife like that. And then you talk to a girl like this. Okay? Own it for yourself and then help young boys and young men own it for themselves as well. But what does it mean even? Own it. It's more than not committing violence, but it's proactively taking a stance against violence. So can you recognize ways that you might be contributing to the problem? How does it make you feel? When you do something or you see something. So if you find that you do something that makes you uncomfortable, congratulations. That is the first step for you doing something about it. Because you're thinking, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe this is wrong. Maybe it's bad, you know. Maybe I'm doing something that's affecting other people. So if you can help a young person in your life do the same, to tell peers when their language or behavior is not okay, to intervene against sexist or violent jokes, to speak out when necessary, and so much more. Okay, so another one, gender roles. So, you know, gender roles are in our culture nowadays. It says, you know, when we say to be a real man or to act like a lady. Now, this is a very delicate subject. And obviously, you know, with people being non-binary and people being, you know, polysexual and transsexual and everything. There's so many things and so many different types of people nowadays. Now, you know, you will get some people who will say, oh, you know, people shouldn't be so sensitive and we can't do this. But unfortunately, life is changing and sometimes it's very easy just to change names and things and stuff and just forget about it, move on. Because, you know, I saw, I watched uh, last night, actually, I was watching, you know, BBC Newsnight and they were talking about the word midget and they were talking about how somebody at Chocolate Company England had changed the name from midget rolls to mini rolls for some particular, or midget gems, sorry, midget gems to mini gems because obviously it was affecting people with dwarfism. And some people were saying, oh, it's a step too far and it's too politically correct. But, I mean, maybe maybe you can feel like that. But the point is that if it stops those people who are being affected by it being affected, well, then it's a small price to pay. It's only a bar of chocolate or something. It doesn't make a difference. It's just sometimes 
there's two sides to the coin when people say, oh, they're just being angry for the sake of being angry. Yeah, but then you're probably just being angry for the sake of being angry about the name on the chocolate bar. So we have to get over all of these. These are first world problems. And I, I think, you know, if, if there was somebody was calling me a name because of something about me and it was directly associated with some kind of product, I probably would think I don't want that product to call it. So, I mean, it's such a deep thing nowadays and, and we have to really look at it from all angles, but we have to respect everyone's wishes. And, you know, you don't, it's like I always say, if you don't want to watch a program on TV because it offends, you don't watch it. But you have to have the same with gender roles, you know, and unfortunately, you know, before a child is born, you know, we always say pink for girls and blues for boys. So children are aware of gender roles. And, you know, you will hear kids growing up saying, oh, I don't want a pink jumper because of this. It's for girls and boys, you know, I always say this like that's a girl's top or that's girls. But nowadays it's great because you see boys and girls wearing, you know, opposite the opposite sex clothes and the opposite gender clothes so we you know lots of things are changing which is really good so when young boys are struggling with being too emotional not playing sports liking dolls and on give them space and support to figure out for themselves what kind of boy and man they want to be you know i remember something myself and my wife had to deal with um a few years ago where you know and it was a weird question because you come from the male dominated society of, you know, boys like girls, girls like boys and so on. So I'm not in any way homophobic. I respect everyone's wishes and I respect everyone's wishes to love whoever they want to love. But because we're trained to um, because we're trained how the way things are, and that's predominantly from the church and everything. This is kind of ingrained into us and it's like talking about sex with your parents. You don't know how to talk about it. So I remember talking to my son and I remember saying to my son, is there any girls you like at school? And then he would be like, no, no. And then I said, is there any boys you like? And he said, no, dad. But it was a weird thing for me because that's not a question my parents would have ever asked me. But for him, it wasn't weird because he just thought is my dad because he wasn't. He, it wasn't ingrained into him that liking boys would be a bad thing. It just was something natural. So, you know, if you talk to with your, kid, with your kids about these things at a very early age, about gender roles and, you know, about liking the same sex and about, you know, trans issues and homoph- homophobia issues and, you know, say, oh, some people don't agree with this. If you, if you educate your children from a young age and you tell them this, you know, it's okay to do this. It's okay to like someone of the same sex. It's okay. There's no problem. And don't make it a big issue. Once you make something a big issue, then it becomes a big issue. But if you're just very natural with them and give them space, give them support, and they will figure it out and they will learn it and look at it with, you know, a sense of pride and not something that's to be hidden away and taboo, you know. And you see that in other countries where they have sex education and they look at, you know, much deeper things that we don't look at till we're adults at ages of like, you know, eight, nine in some schools. And by the time they get to 12, they're totally relaxed about this i think it's in the netherlands they are looking at sexual issues and sex issues from like seven eight nine and when they're teenagers then it's completely normal they don't worry about it at all we have to get rid of that taboo about sex because it 
unfortunately, the gender issues and sexual issues kind of uh, interfere with people as they become older. This is another one, number five, stop policing gender. So it's one of the most harmful aspects of gender roles is how rigidly we pol- we police or enforce those norms. So very often gender roles are framed as natural or traditional. However, like all parts of our culture, we create them and can change them as necessary, especially to prevent harm. So boys police each other and adults police gender for them. So this is kind of a um, a difficult one. Because people say, what do you mean by policing gender? Well, it's that kind of thing like where your children say, I'm not wearing pink because it's for girls. So about showing emotions, about toys, clothes, sports. So you're kind of limiting what a child can be. And maybe I think the problem is, speaking of my own opinion, when you're a boy, you're probably policed much more. You know, if a young girl wants to play with you know, little tractors or boy things in traditionally in the past, we said. Um, it's not as big an issue, but if a boy wants to play with dolls and girls things, maybe sometimes people are, you know, would have been in the past more so, and still maybe with some parents and especially some dads would be thought, oh, no, no, but that's for girls and that's the thing. And, we you know, look at, I, I've, I'll admit myself, I remember once or twice when, you know, my boy was younger, my wife would say, oh, well, this and I'd say, oh, but that's more for girls. As it's just something that's naturally in our psyche. We've grown up with this and we, we have been gender policed all our life and it's hard to change. It, but, but like they said about owning it earlier, you, you have to own it and you have to say, OK, maybe I think like this sometimes. And that's. That's the first step, I think, in any of these issues. Maybe I think like this. Maybe I have that opinion. And maybe let people change your opinion then or maybe educate yourself. So I think when it comes to gender policing, we we do it. And, you know, men are probably more guilty of doing it, but women probably do too. And that's something we have to change, you know, because then obviously you get into gender-based violence. So... Create space for boys to be whoever they want to be. That's what, you know, it's a great thing, I think. So number six, find stuff to do that doesn't limit young men and boys in your life. Okay, so this is an interesting one. So there are all types of entertaining and learning that promote healthier ways of being a boy or man. So be critical about the books, TV shows, movies, websites, podcasts, video games, etc. that junior boys in your life consume. So ask them questions about what they like and why. Look for and discover alternatives that show a wider range of what gender is and can be what it means to be a boy or a man and a girl or a woman, which is equally important for boys to be exposed to. So here are just a few of my examples. Okay, so stories of sports people who, you know, have gone through these column challenges, you know, uh, boys who dare to be different, you know, there's lots of different things. And, and they give some examples of it here. Boys Who Dare to be Different, Steven Universe, a TV series, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse. Um, so, yeah, there is a lot of content that can educate people more. And, you know, and I even see it myself sometimes, you know, watching TV programs for younger people. It's great to see these kind of even the American sitcoms and for kids and this kind of stuff. It's great to see that, you know, they will say a girl likes a girl or a boy likes a boy in the show. And you can see them coming in age. You can see somebody has said they're non-binary or somebody is talking about changing their sexuality. So I think these are great things that 
producers and TV companies are addressing now. And that educates our children and makes our children see it as a very natural thing. So I think, you know, that point about what our kids are exposed to as parents, especially as dads, you know, we can look at what our children's wa- children watch and say that's a bit violent or the views of that towards women are not good. We have to address that in a different way because, you know, if I see my boy watching or doing something that I feel then is could lead him to be violent towards girls or whatever, you know, I, of course I have to step in and say, no, we don't do that. And, you know, why are you watching this or why do you think it's good for you? What, let's talk about it. Why Why do you want to watch it? And, and do you not find this, like, you know, is it is it not making you think differently and everything? So that's something that I... Me as a parent, I would say, you know, as a great thing to, to speak with your children about what they consume and, and definitely. And nowadays, obviously, with TikTok as well, you know, so many kids watch TikTok and they see what's on it and they're kind of like, you know, looking and, and maybe taking it as something natural. But, you know, part, I have a problem with TikTok in the sense as well and Instagram and other social media in the sense that there is this thing where you have girls are empowering themselves and they can be whoever they want to be. But obviously with peer pressure, girls are having to be more sexual on these apps and everything. So because of this, I believe that it's having an effect on boys and everything. So unfortunately, you know, some people will say, oh, but that doesn't matter because girls can be whoever they want to be. And of course, I agree totally with that. But what my point is that um, we nowadays are trying to teach young women and girls, they don't have to sexualize themselves. They don't have to do all of this. You know, you don't, we used to say years ago, oh, you don't need to be look like the Spice Girls or, you know, you need to wear minimal clothing in order to be popular. But now, What's happening because of TikTok, young girls think I need to dress like this. I need to dress down, wear less clothes and, you know, show off more of my body. So unfortunately, I think that has an effect on the male psyche. And, you know, this is a it's a I don't understand this, but you kind of have to say, is it is it something that's good? Like. You know, if young girls are sexualizing themselves like this so much, is that helping the whole situation with, you know, domestic violence and and sexual abuse? I don't think so. I don't think it's helping it in any way. But how do we control it? I don't know. As I said, that is for far more intelligent people and people who know more about this kind of subject. But, But I think that's leading to problems down the road because obviously people are addicted to social media. And, you know, we say, oh, Instagram, the perfect life and, you know, this kind of thing. But also with TikTok, it's creating these kind of um, like role models that people can live up to. But I also believe that it's putting more content out there for young men to consume in a negative way. And I feel that that's something we have to control because as, as, as adults, if we consume content like pornography and, you know, any kind of titillation like that, you as an adult have to say, okay, if I consume that, how, you know, am I key, is it under control? And obviously, you know, if you, if, if you talk about pornography, you, if you control what you watch, like if you, if you watch pornography, but then you want harder stuff or you want, you know, things that will challenge you 
and make you into somebody that you don't want to be, then, of course, as an adult, you have to say, OK, I have to stop that. Or because, you know, so many people then can get addicted to pornography and that kind of things. It's like gambling or alcohol or drugs. So people have to have a check and own it as regards their own content, because we can't say to our kids, oh, don't look at this and then go in and look at hardcore pornography yourself. So unfortunately, we all have a role in this and um, we can't be hypocrites either. So you have to know the point of saying, OK, that's too far. That's too much, you know, um, and because then you don't have to have the guilt and everything. You know, this is the thing. And of course, we see nowadays, you know, I think recently Billie Eilish was coming out talking about pornography and how watching it from an early age affected her belief system and what sex should be and what it should be about and for young girls and guys you know if they watch porn and they say okay that's what sex is and it's not i mean it's the fantasy world of sex and you know but it's not what sex is sex is a can be something that's a very loving and intimate thing but also it can be you know for some people like just a that hookups and these kind of things it's fun but it's all about consent and it's all about um people understanding each other and respecting each other you know and that's obviously a big thing so moving on to the next one model consent so respecting consent for yourself and others critical to model way before you start talking about sexuality and other things and you must model in all aspects of life so don't force your kids to hug an uncle or kiss an aunt if they don't want to because you're kind of saying oh no you have to do this and help them understand consent so this is a big thing. So ask them before you hug them. Say, can I hug you? And let them know. And and this is something that your uncle or your aunt might hug you. But as an uncle and aunt, you say, can I give you a hug? Whatever. And then, you know, and I know it seems kind of crazy, but consent is something that we all have to address now, you know. Um, you know, there's situations and contexts they face. Like we say, oh, do they, you might say, oh, does the teacher hug you? Maybe you're not comfortable with that. Maybe they're not comfortable, but they can't say anything. Play dates with friends, you know. So they're at school, at home, dating online. So you have to teach them how to set boundaries and respect those of other people. Which are the best ways for the, you to consistently model consent, consent, sorry, proactively with young boys in your life. So, you know, they say an ounce of prevention regards to consent. Consent is worth more than a pound of cure. Okay, so, but how do you talk about consent with young people? So, you know, this is something that obviously is quite difficult um, because how do you do it? How, how do you do it? So in, there's lots of things about teaching kids about consent. But the thing about it is it's basically, consent is basically permission to do something now or an agreement to be able to do something later. That's kind of the thing. So... I don't know exactly on these things, but I think you have to just tell your children, you know, the the way to say no. I mean, for example, if, if, if your son or daughter wants to say no, you have to say, look, you know, do it. Just, you know, you don't have to be rude. Just say, I'm not interested. You know, you are the boss of your own body. So, and sometimes kids struggle to understand the idea and some kids are very physical so that can happen. Kids, you know, are used to the words. No, if they know, OK, sorry, no, I don't like that or I'm not comfortable, you know. And when you say, can I give you a hug, may I give you a kiss? And if they say no, then the adult has to respect them. So I think that's what 
we have to look at, you know, it's something that we need more work on. We need to teach our kids, look, if anybody, you know, tries to touch you or give you a kiss or a hug and you're not comfortable, say it to them. But we need for our boys and sons and brothers in our lives, all these kind of things to have that respect as well, to respect the word no. And, and you know, unfortunately, probably by the time some people say no, and we all know no means no. The problem is that the other person has no respect for that word and they've taken it too far. And that's why we need to teach young men. When you hear the word no, or you hear I'm not interested, I'm not this, then walk away, go away. You know, it's not a blow to your ego. It just means that person is not into you. You know, so. The, the next kind of thing I think is, you know, you have to model relationships with other men. Um, so sometimes, you know, one of the ways rigid gender roles harm boys and men is in limiting their our relationship with each other. So, for example, you know, it's even funny in language how we say, oh, a girl can have girlfriends, but that doesn't mean it's a, you know, a gay relationship or both. If a boy has boyfriends, it means that it's a, a gay relationship. So language is really, really important here because these are kind of like gender roles. And and even for me, as I said, living in Spain, and sometimes I'm um, explaining this in Spanish and you're kind of saying, well, in English, you can say, oh, she's going for a drink with her girlfriends. But it doesn't mean that she's in a relationship with them. It means that they are friends who are girls. But you never in English say, oh, he's going for a drink with his boyfriends because the words have a kind of connotation. And for them, it's hard to understand because every language is different and different for different cultures. But that's um, that's a kind of a gender role that we've used for years and is wrong. You know, we should be able to say, oh, he's gone for gone playing football with his boyfriends, you know. And it's an interesting one, you know, and, and you, when you think about it, the first time I ever thought about it, I was like, wow, actually, that's strange. I never thought about that before, you know. Um, so you have to look at what your relationships like with other men. Are they open and honest? What do you talk about with your male friends? Do you joke about put down women and girls, make light of violence? So, you know, one of the critical things with relationships and is to help us lead a better life and to support not just boys in our life but men in our life is we have to look at these issues you know how what makes you feel comfortable and it's something actually i found over the years that in my own life i've um i've sometimes been uncomfortable in situations with other men because they're maybe talking about sex or something i mean i love a good joke and good dirty joke as much as the next person but i find then when you're in a situation where you're kind of you feel uncomfortable because something is, you know, it, somebody's talking about that or there's a picture of a woman's breasts and everyone's talking about it. I'm like, no, I'm more private about, you know, it's, it's not for me. I, I don't want to be looking at pictures of this in a group of men and everything. But I think for a lot of guys, they do it and they're very comfortable with this. And I was never comfortable with that. I just was that kind of a, a shyer child, I suppose. Um but yeah, even now to this day, it would make me feel comfortable if I was in a group of men and they were talking about, you know, saying, showing pictures of a naked woman and talking about it and laughing and joking. I might, <laughs> but I'd be kind of like, no. And maybe that's another way I have to look at my own self and go, 
guys, what are we? What's this? Like, you know, we're not young boys. I mean, come on, you know. It's, so we all have to own it. And I think it's times like this, and you know, when incidents happen like this, we have to look at it and say, own it yourself. So. This is one I like. Do the dishes. <laughs> okay. So so in addition to modeling consent and healthy relationships with other men, do the dishes. Okay. So people say, what What does that even mean? Just do some work around the house. I mean, you know, you have to teach your kids and boys and girls to do the same thing and not have them growing up going, doing the dishes is for women and girls. You know, it's fair and um, equal work and treatment for everybody. You know, um, equality and equity for respect for women and girls. So this challenges rigid gender roles and the devaluation of women and is tied to challenging violence as well because too easily, you know, you will see, you know, oh, but that's a woman's job or that's a man's job and this. And, you know, when it comes to equality, it's a, this is a sensitive subject as well because equality, you know, men and women can do some amazing things. Um, men and women can do some amazing things like independently and, you know, the sexes are so different. But the thing is what's really important as well is we have to also appreciate men and women physically can be different. So some things men are stronger at, but then sometimes women are more compassionate or more empathetic in other areas. So we all have our strengths and everything. But the thing is we all can do amazing things. And and let's say a girl sees what I'm doing and she says, I can do that just as well, if not better. And I, and I would think brilliant, of course. But men can also do the same thing. So equality is a, a two-way street. And I think we have to take those gender roles out of things and then we won't have so much things like this, you know, like, as you said, so doing the dishes, doing things that you used to see your mother and sister only doing, do those, teach your sons to do them. And I think that will make a big difference to how those boys come because when they're doing the work, they respect it and they see what's happening, you know. So share the load, share the chores, you know, everyone can do their own share. So this is a deep one, cultivate emotional intelligence, so when we say to men, be a real man, so we are suppressing our own emotions, our humanity. So sometimes, you know, as adults and men, we can kind of say, okay, I, I need to, I need to uh, cry about this. I need to be weak at this moment or I need to be emotional. But if you can't show that to your sons or, you know, your children, well, then, you know, if, you do, if you're saying, oh, that's a, I'm a man and I, that's being too girly, of course, there's going to be problems. You know, is it any wonder we have a problem with men's violence against women? Because if fathers can't teach their children how to deal with their emotions and how to be a man, and nowadays being a man is showing yourself your weak side, your strong side, everything. You can be the superhero for your kids and still cry, you know, when we lose a pet and... You know, when we lose somebody in the family, you don't. The, the dad doesn't have to go and cry alone because he doesn't want to show his children he's weak. Because it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of being a real man. Cry in front of your children. Show them you have emotions. Show them that you have weak moments. Show them that, you know, you're not always as strong as they feel you are. Show them how to deal with issues. You know, so this starts very early, like gender roles, and can be challenged from childhood. 
So there are many ways to support boys in de- developing a higher EQ. So it's the fancy way of saying emotional intelligence. And a bonus? Well, emotional intelligence will help you and those around you in a myriad of ways, including helping to challenge gender-based violence. Okay, so that's something you know, I think we have to really look at as well. So I have a few more of these. So I'm just going to go, go through these a little quicker. So talk it out. That's a big thing. I mean, uh, boys and men have to talk things out. And, you know, good things and bad things. But like I said, if you recognize problems, tell your kids, look, I need to talk to you about that. Tell your boy, let's talk about this and try and stop it happening. And now, obviously, when we look at sport, sport is a great thing and it helps so many children and everything. And but sometimes there are gender issues in it and everything and some things aren't equal. Um, And sometimes violence against women is often minimized and denied. Um, So we have to look at that and challenge those gender based violence and harmful gender based norms for boys and men. That's something we can look at, too. Um. And school, I think, is a big thing because in school, the teachers and the director or the principal can, you know, teach kids. They don't have to conform to gender roles from peers and even staff and the faculty. So if you're a young person in school, do your homework to find out what resources are available for students wanting to learn more about gender roles. So ask questions from the teachers, student teachers, anybody, you know, auxiliary, whatever. Find out things. And if you have questions, you know, help people. And especially with cyberbullying and online bullying in schools and physical bullying, you know, kids can step in too. If you teach your son or daughter to intervene in those moments, they will do it in school. That's the best place to practice, you know. And, you know, men can stop rape. Men can stop sexual violence. You know, women can stop. Everyone can stop. It's teach kids, you know. Now, obviously, um, there are so many other things. I'm not going to go through everything here because there's another few points. And But I'm going to put the link for this, the Pixel Project, um, you know, about there's more things about school, getting fatherhood right, listening to boys and young men, do something more. Um, so I think, you know, this podcast today has been a very random, spontaneous thing. I was going to do an entirely different show, actually, you know, um, and now just, as I said, my heart was sad and angry over the last few days looking at this and I thought, Okay, it's I don't, I'm not jumping on any bandwagon or anything here. I just feel that you, you know, you, you want to do something. So I'm just trying to show people there are ways to help, and there are some amazing organisations in in Ireland. And you know, I'll be doing some work in over the next few months as well with the Gower Rape Crisis Centre, and we will be you know tackling issues like this. And trying to educate men and young boys how to deal with these kind of things and how to prevent it and how not to do this in the future. And, you know, just to to finish up, you know, I want to kind of go back to, you know, Ashley Murphy, because the thing about it is now we have a situation where something horrible happened on our own doorstep or on people's doorstep and you know 
Ashling was an amazing woman and amazing girl. And it's such a shame, you know, we have to lose people like this in our lives and to lose them in such a tragic way. And as I said, it makes me sad. It makes my heart sad. It just gives you that feeling of helplessness. But we don't have to be helpless. We, ha we can do something. We can learn from this and we can try and help other girls, other women, you know. Too many women have gone missing in Ireland and, and have never been found. And too many women have been victims of domestic violence. Too many wives, too many girlfriends, too many daughters, too many sisters. And, you know, we have to do something about it. And I just hope that, you know, all these vigils and I know there's some amazing vigils being held in Galway and Yesterday they were held and today and tomorrow as well and probably over the next few weeks. And I think it's brilliant. And, and But let's see the men out there. Let's see the guys going out supporting the women. And let's see the guys say, more than anyone, let's stop this. Let's stop this kind of, you know, predatory behavior. And let's look at our own behavior and own it, like we said, own it. And nobody's perfect, you know. If guys out there, if you feel like you don't know or you need to be educated even as adults, well, then look it up. Talk to somebody, you know, but don't let demons you have or any urges or desires turn into something worse and turn into something that is a threat to other people because, you know, we have enough of that. And just learn respect for women, learn respect for your daughters and your sisters and everybody. Learn respect and learn when to stop and learn when to say okay I'm sorry I offended you whatever and walk away don't harass people in the street don't you know just because you see a girl walking on her own don't think okay you know I can talk to her because I'm a good looking guy and she probably liked me and then obviously with alcohol that can be more elevated your opinion of yourself just you know leave it alone you know if she wanted to come and talk to you she would she would but leave these people alone. We don't need to harass people in the street. And you can imagine for a girl walking by and, we you know, we've heard all the shocking stories this week on the radios about girls being harassed. Just, you know, if you see somebody walking by, leave them alone. Um, they're probably feeling it as they're walking by a group of guys that they're under pressure. And, you know, we have these stories about women afraid to go jogging. And, you know, obviously with the pandemic, there was lots of women going out jogging on their own and then maybe self putting themselves at risk but they shouldn't be at risk you know and and you know it, it, we always say oh don't go jogging at night and it's very dangerous and you know but like it just shows you it doesn't matter sometimes because obviously, obviously in the daytime we can see more but still we have a situation here where nothing was seen and you know um it's it's sad, you know, that this kind of thing still happens and it happens all around the world. And maybe it will never stop. Maybe there will always be this kind of thing. But we can try to lessen it and we can try to limit it. And we can teach our children, teach the next generations, you know, to be better people and teach the men to be better and teach the men not to go too far and teach them about respect from an early age. And... You know, all I want to say is, you know, condolences to Ashling's family and her friends and her boyfriend and the children in her class who must be devastated. Um, and I know you, the listener, like me, must be feeling terrible about this and it makes you angry and it makes you sad and you want to do something. Well, do something. Do something. 
do it. Go out, support the vigils, you know, you know, sign petitions, do whatever you have to do. But more importantly, let's help our kids get educated from this. Let's let's help our young boys and young men know these kind of things can never happen again in the future. And if they do happen, they should never be a part of anything like this. And they should never, they should always be there to help women, not not to, you know, violate them, not to harass them, not to stalk them, not to, you know, harass them online, not to, you know, take pictures of them unknowing, unknowingly and spread it around the Internet or with their friends. Have some respect, you know. You wouldn't do that to your own friend who's a guy or girl, so don't do it to somebody else. And just, you know, we, we, all, we all can love each other a little more and we can all respect each other a little more. The world, as it's becoming more modern, it's becoming a little crueler now and there's too many things on tap, too many things there that people can get too easily. So people feel they have more freedom to do what they want. And they do in the right way, but they don't have freedom to do more things in the wrong way. And unfortunately, to get the balance right is really, really difficult. And, you know, all I can say to everybody is, you know, be safe, but let's everybody else be safe around you and keep everybody safe. It's been my pleasure talking to you today. And I know it's uh, been a more serious podcast, maybe. And but I just felt like I needed to speak about it. And as I said, if you, you know, agree with or disagree, that's fine. I mean, that's no problem. I'm not going to be offended by that. It's just me. I'm one voice. But I hope some of my thoughts and some of my sentiments and some of the things I've told you um, will, you know, help you in some way. And, you know, as I said, we're going to put the links for some of these pages so you can see this information. And we're going to put some of the links for some of these organizations if you want to help anybody else or if you you know want to get involved in any kind of things we will try and put those links there for you and we'll just dedicate this to Ashling Murphy and such a shame such a shame you know and um you know take care of yourself guys my name is Simon K this is the Collective Whisper podcast until we see you the next time take care of yourselves and your family and everyone you love and have a good one bye bye (laughs) 